Namaste, viewers. Uh, welcome to another exciting episode, the 125th episode of Words of Wisdom, Gyan Ganga. Uh, we are excited to have uh, uh, the, the Sri Rajiv uh, Malhotra ji. And we have, obviously, we have Dr. Swami here. And we're going to talk about a very important hot topic today, which is Hindu phobia in U.S. universities. As you all know, that there is a conference that's being planned on September 11th. It's called Dismantling Global Hindutva. <clears throat> And uh, we have uh, Rajiv Ji and Dr. Swami to discuss that today. And uh, before we go on to the quick program, I'll just make a quick announcement. Uh, this program, in addition to being available on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, is also now available as a podcast. The podcast is going to be available after the program on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify. So you could pretty much search on any of them. Just go for search for VHS India. You'll be able to see and you listen to the program as a podcast as well. So without this, without much delay, I'm just going to jump into the program. So Dr. Swami and uh, Rajiji, welcome to the program. So we'll start with a quick introduction. As usual, the program format is that Dr. Swami talks first, and then we have our guest who's going to take the lead and uh, be the star of the show, and then there'll be a discussion. Over to you, Dr. Swami. Thank you very much. Uh, it's for me a great pleasure uh, that Vijay Ma Rajiv Malhotra has uh, agreed to come on our program, on the 125th program. Rajiv Malhotra is a pioneer. I am an eyewitness of uh, what the United States situation was. There, all the rubbish that used to be said against Hinduism, uh, was, there was never a challenge. And the challenge I meant uh, people who articulate and speak in the same idiom as them and defeat them in their own idiom. And the first person who emerged on the scene was uh, Rajiv Malhotra and his uh, huge book, uh, which is now the bestseller for years and years. It's called Breaking India. And uh, he spoke about all the conspiracies. And of course, since then, he has written a large number of books. I remember Swami Dan and Saraswati asking me about him and said, how can I get to meet him? And ultimately, not only Dhananda Saraswati met him, but also his books in large numbers he distributed all over the country. So we have him today on a topic which has now become very crucial for all thinking Indians to know and analyze and take countermeasures. And that is the question of how to deal with Hindu phobia, which is developing in the West. What is Hindu phobia? And what is, uh, what is this conference that has been set up? Who set up this conference? I don't know whether Rajiv Malhotra knows, but I certainly have searched and searched, and I found that the, the organizers' uh, names don't appear anywhere. Only the participants' names appear. And second, they claimed a series of universities with their insignia as supporting them. And now, one by one, they're all disowning. We have nothing to do with that. These individuals are you know, doing it on their own. And such a discredited set of people, who are they and what are they trying to say? There are four, five, issue, five issues that I'll say very briefly and then hand it over to uh, Rajiv Malhotra, whom I know that the entire audience is looking forward to hearing him. Uh, he's now a cult figure, I might say, in India. Uh, of course, in America, everybody knows him anyway. And uh, people also find him a bit of... Uh, they get frightened of him. Uh, they don't want to be in any conference where he is. <laughs> but in India, he's revered. He's, uh, he's considered a great pioneer. He's considered a great defender of Indian values. So I will pose five questions and then hand it over to him. And towards the end, of course, uh, after he's uh, finished speaking, we will have some questions for him from the, our panel. The question now is... Uh, what is it that they are opposing? They are opposing the global phenomenon of Hindutva. In other words, they are acknowledging that Hindutva is a global phenomenon. It's a huge development, uh, and it's only 20 years. Uh, they also said, secondly, that Hindutva is the most significant threat to Hinduism pluralist ethos. It brings tears to my eyes. <laughs> they are concerned. They are concerned with Hinduism's pluralist ethos and says Hindutva is the most significant threat. So what is this Hindutva? 
that also we like rajiv gandhi to uh, to to put it across to us so that we can uh, all of us understand very clearly third thing is they say the indian government is of hindu supremacist regime and is in power in india that's another threat who are they talking about in fact i would say uh, our present government in power is uh, highly diluted we want them to do many more things and even this is they find as a hindu supremacist regime for fourth item issue is that the conference supporters state that they will scrutinize official and unofficial official and unofficial policies to create um, with impunity for hindutva violence and backed by massive propaganda machinery my god i mean they make us out to be something that i never thought we were and um, in one sense you know quite impressed where i consider this as a compliment coming from them and finally many universities have made it clear that they don't support this conference so there's been a fraud committed on large number of people uh, to attract them to come to the university uh, to the conference on the grounds that these universities were supporting so over to you uh, rajiv malhotra uh, we are so pleased to have you today and we uh, look forward to hearing you and we want you to come more often to keep us abreast of how you are uh, how you are changing the entire uh, narrative in the united states for hindus who can now look up and with confidence and go forward over to you rajiv malhotra thank you uh, dr swami it's always been a pleasure to discuss with you and i think you are one of the very few individuals with a historical perspective because you've tracked this a uh, phenomenon for a long time uh, gotten we gotten to know each other uh, uh, so i'm glad that uh, this is being uh, uh, you know chaired by you uh, uh, and namaste to everybody i just want to uh, uh, give a historical perspective a lot yeah. of people sort of mistakenly kind of trivialize the work done by saying okay rajiv coined the term uh, hindu phobia and then somebody says oh somebody had used it before it's not about coining a term uh dr swami's legacy of one of his many things of uh, fighting corruption is not about coining the term corruption but actually discovering the corruption hunting it down finding who the culprits are what are the nexuses what is the methodology in other words really scientifically uncovering a syndrome is important not what you call it and who called it so hindu hindu phobia hindu phobia is a term that one or two people have, may have used it as early as 1842 but let me tell you the hindu phobia in the american academy which is what i'm talking about did not exist at that time did not even exist so whatever the term was used for was something else not the syndrome we are dealing with today the syndrome we are dealing with today started when european indology moved to the united states and became south asian studies and the united states government created the term south asian studies a certain article of the uh, was enacted in the congress to fund it and it was important that since the british empire was falling apart united states should take the lead in controlling the discourse this is what led to the rise to the creation of ford foundation various other uh, mechanisms the study of you know more than 30 universities were funded by the us government to start this south asian studies so that is a new lens it is not the old lens of the british empire it's a, a new lens was started in the earlier study of india there was a lot of prejudice but it was of a different kind it was only from christian type people and the british rulers wanting to belittle hindus but the americanization of the study of india is a very new phenomenon i've written about it five waves of indology so these five waves start with marxism being exported to india uh, exported to india as as a way to as a lens to study india and of course when you study hindu dharma through marxism it's distorted then this whole post colonial lens was another one and then this uh, uh, subaltern studies was another one and then this post modernism and so on so each every few years after independence a new methodology and how to study india was developed in the west 
and lot of indians who are called sepoys got indoctrinated in this some of them were brought to the us many of them were uh, students of uh, romila thapar and irfan habib and those kind of people and then they were sent back to india and then in india those people started reproducing more of the same kind and now we are into the third or fourth generation of these these people and they call themselves liberals which it, it is hardly liberating to think like that uh, they they call themselves left i'm not uh, uh, too pleased with the word left or right as uh, sort of bifurcating the discourse but that's how they are called so this liberal left uh, in in india and uh, managed managed from the united states largely in terms of funding in terms of the most prestigious journals and conferences where they want to present uh, in terms of who tutors them in terms of who protects them legally who gives them guidance who trains them it's sort of headquartered here it's a global nexus so this has been a, a syndrome i call it that i have studied now there's a there's a history behind my study of it in the 1990s when i started my infinity foundation i didn't know these things i was giving grants a few million dollars worth of grants to these people before i understood what they were up to and at that time they were they welcomed me as a great hero i have i have letters from dean of harvard i have letters from all sorts of people in various universities department head of uh, poly- political science in princeton columbia university in collaboration with me accepted a six figure uh, uh, you know grant to to teach uh, stuff so i realized because i'm a i'm a very active uh, donor i was a very active donor not just writing a check for you know getting uh, aqualards and and uh, getting my name in the and face in the local in the newsletter of the school of the college i wanted to actually understand and i wanted to engage because I'm, i come come from a, a point of view of a knowledgeable person and i found that when i started looking at the dissertations they produced the conferences they produced the, you know and the whole discourse i didn't i didn't find it uh, acceptable at all and i thought that uh, i this is free and free market thinking and this is uh, you know uh, freedom of thought and so i thought i'll also have views and they will welcome it and i found that as i raised issues i once they realized i'm not going to go away and once they realized that i'm serious and i have uh, lots of important things to say they couldn't answer those questions they couldn't answer my pointing out errors my pointing out biases uh, they could not answer that and so they started uh, saying well you know give us your money but don't interfere no <laughs> way so the more i got into it the more it became clear that we were on a collision course so it was very very in many cases i would i would i sponsored indology round table at harvard 3 years in a row and i was the only indian sitting in the uh, uh, audience and then on the podium and raising my hand and saying uh, whenever they would say something i would have a, my reaction to it i sponsored so many things the american academy of religion invited me to a special event special event where i was sort of the person they were uh, the only person representing uh, who was a practicing hindu all the rest were westerners and indian sepoys who were who were accusing hinduism so i would took him on so this one, one person taking on a whole mechanism uh, became something that uh, they got uh, concerned about they started targeting me they started attacking me until then i have no in, there was no following from the indian side vhp wrote a letter to me saying we don't think there is any such problem because when we go to america the temples are flourishing and we can go to harvard <laughs> and give a talk and i told them i'm not talking about what the discourse is in the temple i'm not talking about that and as far as discourse in the uh, university is concerned there is something which is official curriculum you are not into that there is no hindu gurus books being taught there you are talking about giving an evening lecture that evening lecture anybody can rent a hall and give an evening lecture and that is not uh, that is not what the curriculum is i'm talking about the actual curriculum and what con- what they consider to be real knowledge what you are giving an a, an evening talk doesn't count so it did, it wasn't very they weren't even informed our people the gurus were not interested in getting involved in this in fact gurus would not want to in- entertain me as a speaker in most temples they would say if rajiv malhotra comes it'll controversial we don't want to we don't want to stir up controversy so our temples not wanting to, me to be involved so i would go to if i'd go to the rss people they were not even in- involved in this they didn't understand it they they were uh, either they would uh, 
claim that uh, we are doing so well, we are this 5,000-year-old civilization, and uh, we have this and that going, but they were not realizing that I'm talking about a particular kind of discourse, which is very intellectual, which is very scholarly, and they ought to read about it. It is not something you can comment unless you are well-read, and they were not well-read on this topic. Then I went to the government, the consulates, and with limited exceptions, few exceptions, they were not interested. It was too political. Of course, the industrialists, the businessmen, very successful Indians here, Hotel Association of Indians, uh, you know, all kinds of Indian Medical Association, not interested in taking up the topic because they wanted to stick to, you know, let's make our money, let's not rock the boat. So this is the environment I was in. And so I uh, started understanding in my systematically how is this India studies operating? Where are the centers? Where are the institutions? So I studied universities and looked at every dissertation coming out on Hinduism, whether it's religious studies or anthropology or social studies or history department or political science. I made a database of who's who in the study of India. And at that time, there were 2,000 people, 2,000 people on different faculties, postdocs who were studying India. Then I found seminaries. The, one of the biggest seminaries in the world, Christian seminaries, is right here in Princeton. Uh, uh, and I, I would go there whenever there was anything to do with India, culture, whatever. I would sit there and understand what are they up to. And I realized that they are systematically studying Hindu dharma as something that they have to counter. Then I found that Islamic groups, Islamic groups, this is long before 9-11. And after 9-11, they got even more emboldened. But Islamic groups were involved, uh, Kashmir separatists, Khalistanis were involved. And, uh, 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 you know, it was common to find an Indian diplomat or dignitary coming and addressing, uh, you know, one of these Ivy Leagues with great pomp and glory. And then there would be all these Khalistanis or Kashmir separatists, you know, heckling from the back. And our people didn't know what's going on. They had no idea of this syndrome. Call it a... If you want to understand a disease, you understand its mechanism, how it replicates, what is its raw material, which organs it works on, and so on. You have to understand the mechanisms of a disease. So I was, in a sense, studying that. I, I then, then after uh, uh, Bill Clinton uh, introduced uh, the, in, the Religious Freedom Act uh, after two, 2000, and in the Religious Freedom Act, they said that there'll be a, an organization reporting to the White House and to the U.S. Congress to monitor religious freedom all over the world, except United States. This is very interesting. And this is called the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, USCIRF. The very first meeting they had, I went there. There was only one other Indian. And we heard, heard this their hearing. And we raised our hands and uh, objected and give our, gave our two, uh, you know, gave our feedback. And since then, for many years, for the first 10, 12 years, every single year when they would produce a report on, uh, on uh, the, uh, the violations of religious freedom in different countries, I would take their South Asia report every year and give a rebuttal. And nobody would, from our side, were taking it seriously because nobody would work so hard. So this religious, uh, this USCIRF, I have actually, I don't know if anyone else who tracks this has actually gone to them. I have gone to their headquarters in Washington, D.C. I've had meetings with the commissioners. The, the commissioners of this are government appointed. They're salaried government employees. Each of them has a budget for hiring, uh, you know, interns and hiring uh, researchers and so on. I have met the uh, young gentleman from Pakistan in charge of the South Asia report. A young gentleman from Pakistan in charge of writing the South Asia report. I have cross-examined these people and said, can I have... Uh, the who gave you all this data when you are saying that this this happened to christians and this happened here and there it's all one-sided where is this data it's not any court court verdict in india uh, where is it from and they told me that these sources we cannot disclose because they'll get uh, they'll get attacked and so they're secret so i said that the according to the u.s law if somebody is accused of a crime and uh, you are accusing my whole tradition of a crime then the defendant has a right to cross-examine the witnesses, the defendant has a right to cross-examine the evidence. So I want to cross-examine the evidence. And I want to cross-examine whoever the witnesses are that gave you all this. And if you can't do it because of secrecy and all that, you can put, uh, uh, you can hide their voice and you can hide their face, but I want to be able to cross-examine them. 
And they, they were very stunned that a, an ordinary Indian would come in to this major institution of the United States government in Washington, D.C., sit in front of these mighty commissioners in charge of that and give them this kind of risk. And I gave them my PowerPoints. I gave them handouts. I said, here is my rebuttal to what you are doing. In fact, I pointed out that in their report that year, they had misquoted the Constitution of India. They said that according to the Constitution is this, that, but that, that was not even so. I told them what the truth was. You see, the problem is so blatant that nobody from our side doing a point-by-point -point rebuttal to this whole Hindu-phobia. So it's not, my friends, it is not about coining a term. You got to roll up your sleeves, go out and do all this hard work for 20, 30 years. You got to know the, the enemy very close. You get close to your friends, even closer to your enemies. And that's how you get to know them. So I funded Harvard. I funded Michael Witzel. I funded all those guys for a long time. And then I was privy to what's going on. I was privy to their meetings, how, who, how they give, you know, how, how the whole politics inside the academy works. And I know that very well. So this, then I started looking at think tanks, American think tanks and how they feed policymakers in the South Asia desk in uh, Washington, in the State Department. So I got to, I got to uh, know those people. I visited the State Department. So I have physically gone and interacted in person and by emails and by phones with all sorts of institutions that are involved in this syndrome. And I don't know if anybody who's done that. So if it's not a matter of, you know, who coined the word, I mean, that's a real insult to a serious researcher because a serious researcher has a lot of work to do in, un in gathering this data, connecting the dots, figuring out, figuring out what's my counter thesis to it, finding resources from my tradition to counter them, going there, presenting them, even if I'm the only guy in the room. So then I discovered that there were these uh, George Soros type people. That's another kind of institution. That's kind of a, a, a you know, kind of a shadow institution because they're not very, very open about it. But now it's not just George Soros and he's not the worst guy. Now there's about a dozen others and I'm writing about them in a, in a forthcoming book. Uh, media, media all over the place. Uh, involved in this very Islamic left-wing alliance being uh, being nurtured. And then with the rise of BJP, it took another wave, another wave of another kind of lens where they started deciding, they started saying that anybody like me who happens to be, uh, you know, talking like this must be a RSS or a BJP man, not realizing that I started this long before BJP guys knew about this problem or RSS guys long before they even cared about it because they couldn't, they were just busy in their own world. And they jumped on the bandwagon only in recent times because I was getting traction. And how did, how did Indians and Hindus start discovering me? They started discovering me when the Westerners attacked me. When, when the Wendy Donigas of the world sent a whole lot of people to attack me, then it became, wow, he's, uh, he's taken seriously. You know, he must be doing something that they don't like. So that's kind of the history of this. And there are two books. Uh, first, I started writing on Suleika, uh, which was around 2000, late 90s and 2000. Uh, then I started writing in other places. And then these articles were summarized in a book called Invading the Sacred. Invading the Sacred came out in 2005. And uh, this book came out because Martha Nussbaum wrote a book, a very famous, she's a very big shot feminist in Chicago. And, uh, you know, you search Martha Nussbaum. She's a who's who all over the place. Martha Nussbaum wrote a book on this, uh, you know, Hindu uh, fascism in America. And uh, there were people reporting uh, Hindu organizations to FBI that they are worse than the Muslim terrorists. They should also be monitored. Dinah Eck went to American Academy of Religion. She was head of Hinduism in Harvard. And she also said that, you know, we are more monitoring Islamic terrorism. Why is nobody monitoring Hindu, Hindu terror groups in America, all of that she did. So when Martha Nussbaum wrote her book on this subject, she devoted a chapter to me. I mean, I felt, my God, this is, this is interesting. I'm worth a whole chapter uh, as a target. So, you know, no, none of those other people who are now big shots who are claiming to be, they have their own channels and talking about they are the champions uh, you know, fighting Hindu phobia. There are people in the U.S. There are people in India. It's a, it's it's easy to cut and paste, copy paste what has been written here. A whole vocabulary was introduced here, uh, you know, popularized and explained in detail. 
And then many years later, a sequel to that book, Academic Hindu Phobia. Now, there's nothing more direct than the word academic Hindu phobia. And it talks about it talks about all this anti we are anti-Muslim, Muslim, Sangi, caste racism, rapist, Sati, fascism, backward, anti-Dalit, saffron, right-wing extremism, oppression, violence, hegemonic, Hindu nationalist. These are all in the on the cover. These are all things. And you see that the person's voice, the person's face on the side, that's a person who's speaking all this stuff against us. So I put this all out. And chapter after chapter is all about what these guys are up to. So I have been, I have paid the price. I've stuck my neck out and, and, and they're hounding me all the time. They're trying to bring me down. Maybe our people don't even close ranks and give me moral support sometimes. But I've been doing this for close to 30 years now. So this is the, this is sort of the background because, you know, you cannot fight something. Uh, uh, you can put a Band-Aid here and fight a symptom there. Uh, but you cannot fight the disease unless you go into the root cause. And to go into the root cause, you've got to understand what are the mechanisms by which it operates. So these are, this is just a quick summary. Uh, uh, and, and if you read some of these books and many others I've written, you'll get a lot of information on how this mechanism works. Who funds it? Why they fund it? What type of people they fund and what type of people they won't fund? What is the outcome that they are expecting to come out of this discourse, research that they do? And then what is how it's turned into policy? How is it goes into school textbooks and so on? So now the latest thing about caste is race. And this critical race theory is now being applied to critical caste theory is become a very serious problem. It's working its way, not only this conference, uh, you know, uh, at Rutgers and other uh, other places, but also they're taking it to the U.S. Congress. Uh, and and uh, the Democratic Party, unfortunately, has been infiltrated by a lot of uh, very extreme left, a lot of Islamic influence, a lot of Pakistani influence. And things are not looking good for, uh, for the Indian point of view. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm 71 years old. How much can I go on fighting on my own? And so I am also, for the last year or two, sick and tired that our people haven't closed ranks and created a sustainable uh, institution. And so I moved on to other topics. I'm writing about artificial intelligence. I'm going to write 20 more books on various topics. And this fight of Hindu phobia is kind of like a, like a scattered, fragmented, everybody wants to become important. And, and, uh, and so that is how the fight has disintegrated and fragmented. But there is no cohesive into ecosystem whenever some flare up happens like now then people come all over the place and unite and want to fight back when that flare up flare up is over people go back to life as usual there is no permanent team there is no permanent infrastructure uh, you know and so that is what i've tried to create uh, a think tank that is there whether whether it's good times or bad times but we ought to be studying all this on a regular basis and when the hindu gurus have told me we don't do these things. Our We are gurus. We do the puja and we teach you gyan and we teach you, you know, Upanishads and we don't worry about it. I tell them, listen, you are supposed to do Purva Paksha. Agreed? And nobody can say, no, we don't want to do Purva Paksha because that's how we teach Vedanta. We do Purva Paksha. And Purva Paksha means reversing the gaze, analyzing and studying the opposing side. So while Adi Shankara did Purva Paksha with, uh, you know, his opponents at that time, but today's opponents weren't there. They didn't even exist. So today you have to do Purva Paksha of today's opponents who are the Hindu phobics. And so it is part of your job as a serious scholar, as a serious acharya to do Purva Paksha of Marxism, post-colonial studies, post-modernism, subaltern studies, on, on and on and on. And, no, and our people have not put that into the thought process in the in whether it is the Shankaracharya, Mattas, whether it is other gurus, um, whether it is universities in India, we're not doing Purva Paksha of the Western thought or Purva Paksha of Chinese thought uh, on our own terms. So there is this is a serious matter, and I'm delighted that you invited me. Uh, I will be happy to uh, go further, take questions, and yeah. whatever you would like. Thank you so much. Um. Uh, thanks a very thank you very much for this background. Uh, I think uh, one question that um, most people uh, have asked me in the last few days is that uh, this uh, conference, which uh, proposed conference, which has uh, uh, got a lot of publicity, 
uh, is actually directed at the present government. And uh, so therefore, uh, one would have assumed that the Indian embassies and uh, Indian official Adam would have taken this extremely seriously and perhaps uh, raised it with the United States government that, you know, this kind of thing then, uh, you know, will uh, is done, then it can't, be, it can't be done between friendly countries. So is there any uh, contact of yours with uh, the <coughs> with the Indian embassy <coughs> and Indian authorities? Well, number one. Number two, what is the attitude you think that uh, we in India and perhaps uh, those who are activists in the United States be taking towards the, a conference? I mean, anybody can hold a conference. We are not saying that don't hold a conference. But in terms of countering it, uh, what is it that uh, we should be doing? Great questions. So the first, the answer to the first uh, question, whether the Indian government has done anything, the answer is no. Uh, the Indian government knows about it. A lot of people have written to the embassy, the culture people there, the Indian Council of Cultural Relations, which is headed by uh, Sahasra Budeji. Decent man, good man, well-meaning man, but his organization is completely important, not doing anything. Yes. The yes. Indian consulate here in New York, silent. So their their attitude is, you know, we'll keep quiet and uh, maybe somebody else like these guys will fight, individuals like me will do the fighting and we're tired. I mean, we, we can only do so much without the support of the government. They're attacking yes. RSS and yes. the RSS leaders should issue a statement. The RSS leaders should come on, uh, you know, or could demand time on um, American media to defend themselves. It should not be some low-level guys in their personal capacity. There are a lot of good people in their personal capacity trying to do the best. But as an institution, if they are being attacked and named, then you know they have to they have to have an institutional representation to counter it. Whether it is legal, whether, because there is defamation, whether it is public relations, whatever it is. I see that hardly, I see zero representation from uh, the, the RSS people. I also see gurus. I mean, I know somebody who's written and made phone calls to Baba Ramdev and to Jaggi Vasudev and to, uh, you know, Sri Sri and Mata Amritanand Mai and, uh, you know, Swami Narayan, all, all these people, uh, Chidmaya Mission, Ramakrishna Mission, you name it. They're very good organizations. I like what they're doing. But... This is part of what they're supposed to do because this is what the Mahabharata says. You got to you got to go and defend your dharma, and this is the this is the nexus of the Kurukshetra. It is no longer a small town in a town in Haryana. The Kurukshetra is global. So you, wherever the fight plays up, you got to go and you got to you got to defend yourself. So the people who are in power, who are the leaders of all these big institutions of our dharma, who take all the credit. When credit is uh, when they when they want to claim how great they are, when it comes to controversy, they run away. They don't they don't want to get messed up in controversy other than some domestic Indian politics. So I I'm very disappointed with that. Now regarding uh, what can the Indian government do, I think first of all, I offered 20 years ago and I've offered this many times since. I have a huge database tracking who's who. Who are who's who on the other side? What they're up to? What is their thesis? And I'm happy to turn it over, but I want competent people on the on uh, on the on on the team that I can coach and mentor and turn it over, and then they can continue with this. There needs to be a, 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 there needs to be a surveillance and monitoring of who these people are. After all, they're so public. Almost a thousand people have signed in the various academic uh, from the various academic institutions uh, in India, in, in the United States, and elsewhere for this conference. So it's very clear what their positions are. I mean, you can go and study their their go to their websites, and they're very show, very full of all this venom. Why isn't there a hard work? Why isn't there a cell? Because I cannot just keep doing this. Why isn't there a cell that's monitoring all this the way China monitors? And China, when they give visas. When they give visas to American yeah. scholars who go there to study China, they look up their track record. If their track record is anti-China, China phobia, they don't let them. They give them hell and say, okay, you don't want to complain about our lack of freedom to you go and do what you want, but we're not going to let you in. And when they go, they are the, the Americans who go feel uh, very honored that China has allowed them in and they better <laughs> behave themselves. And the Chinese control all the journals of China studies. The most prestigious journals of China studies worldwide are controlled by their own people. And that's not the case here. 
we the our our uh, discourse is controlled by foreigners and indian sepoys who work for the foreigners and the right. the government does not have the courage does not have the competence even the neither the ministry of culture nor the hrd people nor the iccr seem to have the wherewithal to understand the problem so you know the the thing is that uh, i'm also tired of uh, giving all this stuff and i've backed off and said okay rss is attacked <laughs> let rss defend themselves bjp is attacked let them defend themselves government of india is attacked they've got an ambassador they've got all these huge highly funded you know thousands of crores worth of uh, infrastructure and all kind of budgets let them fund the, uh, let them defend themselves but they are not able to do it and things are getting pretty bad now so i i don't know what the solution is because the institutions are not doing their bit now you see uh, just taking that forward uh, when uh, narendra modi was the chief minister of gujarat there was nothing uh, in terms of uh, conviction or uh, any other there were allegations about the gujarat riots and narendra modi's involvement but there was nothing by way of uh, the congress party which was in power in the center which uh, even made him prima facie uh, like for instance i have got sonia gandhi on the national herald on bail nothing of that kind he was absolutely squeaky clean as far as the law was concerned yet the united states government on a recommendation of this religious institution that uh, you mentioned had to cancel his visa now there are these people who are really terrible uh, dynaik is an example uh, there are others also with a there's one uh, this lady who's uh, seems to be masterminding it in from radgars university all these people don't you think that uh, 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 a list of such people who have uh, shall i say vulgarized the hindu religion uh, should be uh, also subject to the same kind of treatment which the americans uh, uh, give to uh, indians uh, on much less uh, ground uh, i mean the, what they did to narendra modi is an example so they uh, these scholars also they shouldn't be allowed to come to india uh, on a visa or they should come and they should be followed around or some restrictive way some way to know that you are not welcome do, do you think that kind of thing should needs to be done sure i mean there has to be a quid pro quo i i i believe in i believe in free speech i don't want any restrictions but one way you you improve the flow of knowledge is that those who are blocking have to be blocked if yes, you block the blockers right. if you censor yes. the censors okay yes. if they are initiating this one sidedness and you call their bluff that's not we are not we would not be uh, blocking free speech we would be actually enhancing free speech by pointing out their hypocrisy now dr swami you were uh, you were teaching in harvard and then they suddenly decided not to allow you any more uh, your course was scheduled it was their official for many many years suddenly it was decided to cancel because some people raised a complaint that you had made a statement regarding some muslim issue in india long ago and there are no relevance to economics which is what you are teaching and in any case academic freedom which is being given to audrey tuske and all these other people you also are entitled to your academic freedom and that was denied now we, there there are many cases of that sort we are going to on my channel we are going to interview a person on september 11 a lady in the united states who a uh, jewish person a alumni of rutgers who was uh, scheduled to give a talk which had nothing to do with uh, any controversial any of these issues and at the last minute she was uninvited her talk was canceled because somebody complained that uh, some couple of years earlier uh, she had made a remark about muslims and that talk of hers was not even recorded so they didn't even have any evidence to that effect they kind of fabricated exaggerated and she was uninvited so i took a i took her statement and sent it to the president of rutgers professor holloway and i had a conversation with several conversations exchanged many emails with him and you know their attitude is like okay we we are withdrawing the response was we are withdrawing our name we are telling them not to use our name Uh, but you know we cannot stop them to do it do what they want to but in the case of this lady she was removed uh, uh, she was uh, so there is a there are many examples in academic uh, in the us academia of uh, bigotry 
where they, the, the people who criticize and oppose the established prevailing, what I call peer, peer review cartel. I, I, I wrote this article some, many years ago, the peer review cartel, this business that everything must be peer reviewed. But who are the peers? Some people get to decide that I, I appoint you and you appoint me and I'll appoint Ramesh and uh, you appoint one of my guys and that's the peer group. It's that kind of a incestuous peer cartel that is the gatekeeper. And, and this type of a systematic study, which I did, I published a lot on this, needs to come out. More people need to read these kind of things. So, so rather than rediscovering uh, slowly, a huge mountain of work has existed. But our people are not reading. Government is not taking action. Government wants, government has got strength and government has got power. Uh, and there is precedence from all over the world. Russia won't allow this. China won't allow this. Uh, you know, many countries won't allow this sort of nonsense. India is sort of open territory. Anybody can come and get <laughs> mischief. Yeah. Well, uh, let me uh, add a point here before I ask my other colleagues to also, uh, uh, you know, uh, raise their questions. Uh, you said about free speech. Uh, in our constitution, uh, Article 19, bracket 1, is the uh, uh, clause or the uh, article which uh, of the Constitution which is about free speech, the right, uh, the fundamental right to free speech. But it also adds that there is, it is subject to certain reasonable restrictions. And most important of all, it says it doesn't apply to foreigners. So if a foreign scholar... Uh, you know, is um, uh, claiming that they, they have a right to free speech in India or about India, uh, I think the government of India would be legally uh, perfectly within its rights under the Constitution of India, as it's the same in the United States, uh, to deny them uh, entry into India, saying that, you know, you're, uh, you're an undesirable alien. And uh, I think that's, uh, that kind of list uh, I sh should be prepared, in my opinion. And I, I'll see all the people I know in the United States who are against these people and their, their, their version of fascism, where uh, they just speak all these lies and, and uh, try to block people. Uh, that we, uh, such a list should be formed, and uh, the Indian government should then uh, tell them, sorry, you're uh, undesirable alien, we can't give you a visa. And we certainly aren't going to give you free speech rights, which are under the Constitution. That's only meant for Indians. So even worse than that, we are actually giving them awards. Yeah, that's right. We've given some. <laughs> we've given a, this Padma Award to uh, a Sheldon Pollock, and they've given some oh. annual Indology no, Award, right. President's Award to all kind of people. Yeah. And you because know, most it, of seemed, it seemed like our people don't read. We are not like uneducated people. If somebody comes <laughs> wearing a tilak and a dhoti and does namaskar, <laughs> or some lady comes in a sari, we say, my God, this uh, this Gora person is uh, respecting us. We ought to touch his feet. I mean, it's so stupid. You know, before I exposed Wendy Doniger, <clears throat> she was the darling of the major Hindu temples in Chicago. She was being uh, invited as the, the keynote speaker on uh, various events and given a lot of honorarium and huge standing ovation because she'd come in her Indian dress and do some uh, chant one mantra or something. Mm. And our people <laughs> were so easily mesmerized. And yeah, when I said, you know, you got to look deeper than what uh, this, uh, this drama, you got to look deeper what she's up to. Then they stopped, uh, you know, bringing them, bringing her in. So where is the vigilance? Uh, we are a study. We are a tradition of knowledge. The mandirs are supposed to be stu studying also. The acharyas and ashrams are supposed to study. The government is supposed to study. Where is the thinking machinery that is controlling, uh, that is trying to do uh, this control of our discourse? What about the HRD? What are they up to? <laughs> and what is the ICSSR, uh, ICCR? What are they up to? So I, I, I have uh, very serious problems. It seems that uh, when, you, when, you, uh, when somebody gets appointed to ICCR, in some international capacity, whether it's Nehru Center or some other center, or whether when somebody becomes a cultural attache, it's sort of a glamour. You promote Bollywood and Indian food, yeah. and you know, some there's some fashion going on. All the goody goody things easy to do. You know, yeah. all the, I had a boss in uh, my corporate career who used to tell his managers that you got to be tough, you make tough decisions. 
and he used to yeah. say that it's it's always fun to be Santa Claus at Christmas time and give bonuses. Very yeah. fun. But you guys don't want to reprimand and fire the guys. You got to okay. yes, you got to give bonuses to those who are performing very well. But those who are not, you got to fire them and get rid of them. And that you are afraid to do. That you shouldn't. So the same thing right. is here. Good stuff, positive stuff. Everybody want to come out and uh, be the big, you know, shot in uh, and and be seen as a very positive person promoting Indian culture. But what about fighting, fighting the abuse? That is part of the territory. Right. Well, I'm happy that Jagdish Shetty has also come back. Um, um, first, I start with uh, Ramesh. Uh, do you want? Do you want to go raise yes, any questions? Yeah. Thank yes. you. Thank you, thank you, Rajivji, for that excellent speech. Because based on the responses that we are seeing from the viewers, you know, it's been received very yeah. well. Um, Rajivji, again, you have done an enormous amount of work in telling what the true Hindu uh, history is. I mean, you've done so much of research in so many years. And Dr. Swami had said earlier that we should actually rewrite our history books. Unfortunately, nothing is done because what what uh, really hurts me or pains me is that the amount of work that you've done is really not getting translated and i understand even the, it, it does frustrate you because it is there for the taking you you've offered it and still the hrd or the indian government has not taken up and corrected first the history see the thing is yes the current crop is not going to do what you're saying absolutely at least the future generation should do so, Dr. Swami, what can we do to push this? Because the future generation should not consistently <clears throat> think that we are inferior. I mean, I can tell you even, uh, as uh, Rajivji clearly said, Hindus feel inferior here themselves. They're not proud to say that I'm a Hindu. You know, okay, what if I say, if I say that I'm a Hindu, am I being aggressive? You know, that thought process is, you know, being fed into this. And that's why, as uh, Rajivji said, when Wendy comes, oh, we see somebody else, Agora coming in, oh, see, they have adopted our thing, but they don't adopt the same courage to say, okay, we have to stand for ourselves. So yeah. the first thing, do you well, think that the government well, should do something there? Well, uh, Rajiv will uh, answer this, but uh, let me just put in uh, two, uh, two words, uh, edgewise, so to speak. Uh, I had said at the very beginning when our government was formed in 2014, that create a, a textbook uh, committee and make Rajiv uh, the chairman of that. And it, it did go up the, the ladder to be considered. And somewhere uh, people said, we have been in this for such a long time. We have been forgotten and so on. And the whole thing got uh, scuttled. Now, I, I would say about India, change does come. But it requires a lot of patience. And I think, uh, you know, it's not fair on Rajiv Malhotra to do it. It's for us to do it. And we are at it. And I'm 100% certain that this change, which has already come to this extent, that today uh, there are people who used to despise the name Hindu are openly in the opposition saying, we are also Hindus, but not the kind of Hindus that uh, RSS is or BJP is. I mean, the, the, this kind of differentiation has come. People go to... Hindu festivals now, which they amongst the politicians who never did uh, when they were so-called secular. And secularism is not now uh, something that is tom tom anymore. Uh, so I think um, uh, uh, let's not be completely disappointed. Yes, we are disappointed that nothing much has happened. But I know that in this country, you keep pushing. Ultimately, it does happen. And so I would like to, uh, uh, you know, um, end it in a in an optimistic uh, way, because Rajiv, Rajiv can uh, uh, tell us uh, exactly how he would like to see these changes being made, and uh, then we'll t ask Jag Jagdish to, uh, you know, raise his questions and then uh, take it from there. So you know, my concern is that uh, uh, the discourse is now being. Uh, uh, used this whatever the discourse is all its biases the discourse is being used to train algorithms because an algorithm is, has to be trained the way you train a child when you educate a child if you send him to a madrasa the, the child will turn out one way if you send him to a catholic convent he'll turn out another way if you send him to a maoist uh, training camp another way if you send him to a hindu patshala he'll turn out another way so it depends on what kind of education the child is given the same way the the texts the discourses fed into the machine learning uh, uh, for training the algorithms 
are actually very instrumental in deciding what the algorithms will do. So all of the social media is driven by algorithms and the algorithms are driven by machine learning and the machine learning is driven by various texts that are being used for training and I see what they are. So for example, Wikipedia is being used. For example, the whole university's American Ivy League output on humanities and social sciences is being scanned. It's being fed to uh, the, 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 the machine learning systems and that's being used to train algorithms. So what I fear is that artificial intelligence is becoming a force multiplier against us because artificial intelligence magnifies and amplifies the biases already there. So previously you needed human beings, uh, human beings sitting around and biasing this and censoring that. Now, you know, what's happening is your messages, what, uh, how much you'll get a boost, who will get a boost, who will be blocked, who will be shadow banned on various kinds of media, whether it is audio, whether it is video, whether it is text, all this is algorithm driven. And we are not the ones who control the algorithms. They are not belonging to us. Those algorithms belong to the tech giants who are mostly in the United States and many of them in China. The Chinese ones, we've sort of tried to get rid of them with some success, not completely. Uh, so I fear that this age of artificial intelligence-driven discourse is going to become worse. And I've called this Breaking India 2.0. Uh, okay. And I feel that the Breaking India is getting going to become more intense. So now they're watching through uh, facial recognition, uh, being fed into all the video cameras out there. They're watching who's who, whether there's a farmer revolt, which are the farmers on this side or that side, who's talking to whom, who can be mobilized. So when there are riots, there is a role of social media as a vehicle. There is a role of social media. Uh, but remember that it is all very selective. Uh, while Trump got banned, not a single Taliban channel has been banned. I mean, it's very amazing. <laughs> Not a single Taliban channel has been banned. They're all over the social media and nobody, and they're being boosted. They're being, in, uh, those, those things are being promoted. Uh, where, so, you know, who decides what is good discourse and what is bad discourse? Very, very That's strange. Right. So this, yeah. is a, this, is a, uh, this is a serious problem. It's a technological problem, which is going to make yeah. things worse. And India is not in the driver's <laughs> seat because we are yeah. exporting technology manpower, but we don't own the intellectual property. So that's yeah. the that's my prognosis. Why I think I'm predicting, and nobody wants to hear this, that by the year 2030, by the end of this decade, India's sovereignty will be pushed will be at serious risk from a combination of external threats, this whole China, Pakistan, Afghanistan kind of thing, and internal breaking India forces 2.0, because we are not in control. We haven't even understood and diagnosed the problem. Niti Aayog don't want to hear me because I keep telling them all this. I'll tell you the, the silver lining is the military people in India really get it. It's the military people that uh, I've given many workshops, private or off-camera workshops and also some public discussions. They really understand the threats we are facing, the, both the breaking India internal threats with all this uh, social media manipulation and the external threats from various enemies. The military understands it and they they want to know more about it and they want to do something about it. But I don't see the uh, rest of society really current with the state of the art. Uh, yep. I think your follow-up question, it's, it's a brilliant thing because feeding the AI engine the content and it's just going to make assumptions because what you feel the algorithm is. But how does China or even the, the Islamic countries counter that? Because there's obviously content that are against them as well. So how does China... Uh, fight against that AI engines not you know uh, making assumptions. In the so have, I don't know if you read my book, but I'm going to show it here. My uh, my book on uh, uh, on artificial intelligence. So this is this is a book I just came up with. Okay. Artificial intelligence and the and the future of power. Hmm. Five battlegrounds, and the battlegrounds include not only economics and all of that. It includes geopolitics, includes geopolitics and national security. So I've discussed all of this stuff. Okay. The short answer is that. Uh, these algorithms, the people who control these algorithms have been infiltrated by a whole lot of Islamic forces. You have mm -hmm. you have uh, Zuckerberg uh, taking a, a position that on uh, Facebook, uh, he just changed it a few weeks ago under political pressure. But the, but the position was that any post that questions, that suggests that China, the Wuhan may have, Wuhan lab may have been the origin of, uh, of uh, COVID-19, mm -hmm. uh, that is going to be blocked. Um, so, so the question is, who are these guys to set uh, policy on discourse? On the one hand, we are talking about 
open society and this and level playing field and intellectual freedom on the other hand it's all being controlled by algorithms and these algorithms are the policy of the algorithm is decided by these people so china has got its own uh, social media uh, you know power because they have algorithms and they have platforms uh, maybe india doesn't uh, allow them but chinese platforms are very big in the rest of the world i mean some of it's uh, it's not just tiktok these kind of things but huge amount of platforms uh, are of china are multi billion dollar some companies of china worth hundreds of billions of dollars in this business are all over the world and india doesn't have a foot uh, its footprint in this particular space so we are behind jagdish uh, yes raju ji and dr swami it's actually very nice for our viewers as well as our members that both of you come together on such a topic my question to raju ji is uh you mention about what's happening about the indian groups and what's happening to this people who control them from india my question is have the common man indian or hindus in the us and their groups have they not realized the threat from this hindu phobia which these universities and vested interest have been spreading can't they be mobilized uh under your leadership dr swami's leadership and other leaders who are there can't we mobilize them so you see the sad reality is let's take rutgers as an example 5000 there's more than 5000 indian students in rutgers it's the largest ethnic minority and most of those indian students are hindus but a very small number of them are members of the hindu student council a few hundred and they come for a samosa and chai at diwali time and do some fireworks and crackers and if you say there's a bhangra they'll all come or a bollywood movie they'll come but but you see most of them are serious students they come for medical school engineering school computer science business school i mean they are professionals their parents send them and say okay you better get good grades go go make a good career so the in the quest for doing well for themselves which indians are doing very well uh the the uh, the pursuit of activism is not emphasized is not emphasized by the parents and is not the, they don't have the foundation nobody has coached them i would like gurus to set up a branch in every campus the gurus chinmay mission should have a chinmay mission every college uh, like the mormons do like the church does like the muslims have imams coming and uh, giving lectures on friday to the students uh, we should you know every single every one of the every this uh, swami narayan people should have uh, uh, jaggi vasudev sadguru should have uh, he should take the top 50 campuses and he should say on each of them i'm going to have uh, one or two events every week and i will I, i will fund it he's got the money and we will appoint some people and they will do this so the the act, if you want to turn things around on campus uh, you cannot expect students to uh, they are they are just very fragile and innocent you cannot expect students to sort of self organize some adults with some deep pockets some funding some institutions have to come and do it for them and even if right. the students got self organized in 3 4 years they'll graduate they'll be gone and you are back to square one looking for new students the permanent faculty have to do something a lot of the islam activism and leftist activism comes from the from the brains from the act, from the work of the faculty living in those universities so they planted good faculty the, the these uh, leftist and islamic people have planted their ideological faculty on campuses and that's who why there are some hundreds of people signing up for this new conference that uh, you're talking about yeah. Uh, yeah. the hindus exist in a place like rutgers there are several hundred indians who are mostly hindus on faculty but they are in medical school i know somebody who says be i'm a mechanical engineer i don't want to get involved like that so this is the problem of uh, uh, we are facing in getting these people organized but slowly there is awakening every time an event like this happens it's an opportunity to wake up people yes. because that's, that's when they wake up they are waking up on this it is too little too late to do anything for this time hopefully yeah. this traction will not be lost it will be permanent hopefully we will be better prepared for the next time yeah i think the indian students and uh, professionals did do something on the textbook for example in california yes and uh, it's a, it's just an example i think that kind of thing needs to spread yeah 
No, sir, I, that's it. I mean, we have pretty much covered most of the topic and, you know, it's, yeah, uh, it's a fascinating yeah, discussion. Nine o'clock, yeah. Correct. So it's a uh, fascinating discussion. Uh, so, Jagdish, so Jagdish you want to conclude? Yes. yes. <clears throat> uh, thank you, Raju Malhotra ji and Dr. Subramaniam Swami for this very interesting discussion on the uh, Hindu phobia in the U.S. universities and campuses. Today was our 125th episode of uh, Gyan Ganga Words of Wisdom. We had started this program on during the lockdown virtually within weeks or one or two weeks on the 2nd of April 2020. And it was a daily program and we had the privilege of even hosting Rajiv Malhotra ji in program, milestone program. And today is the 125th uh, uh, episode. Earlier on it was a daily program then we converted it into a a weekly program then dr swami even did saturday shows uh, like legal words of wisdom nyay gyan ganga and economic words of wisdom arth gyan ganga on saturdays to educate our viewers actually our motto of virat hindustan sangam and where rajiv malhotra ji has been kind enough in the past in physical conferences to come and guide and uh, motivate our members is basically to educate and empower and today was one such discussion. But we are happy to note that our program is watched in 125 plus countries across the globe. This yeah. is not just a marketing talk, but this based on statistics which we have obtained from our social media channels and uh, other records. And we have reached 200 million viewers for this uh, uh, regular program. And we what we started as a subscriber for YouTube of Virat Hindustan Sangam, it has reached 1,27,000 subscribers across the globe. So we thank our viewers for this. I have to also thank my today's co-host Ramesh Swami for his constant support for putting this program together. And our technical team led by Ashish Shetty, Tejas Nawalgul, Gargi Rakesh, Ishwar Iyer, Swami Nathan, Vishal Mehta, and this time our Srikant Patil from Thane also helped us in our publicity and our uh, various language uh, thing. So it's always a pleasure to host Raju Malhotra ji, and I yeah. wish and hope in future Dr. Swami and Raju ji do much many programs on this on this type of issues and also guide our members and audience across the globe on this important development. So with this, it is thanking you all and wishing you uh, a good night in some parts of the world. Some parts of the world, it's good afternoon and uh, good evening or perhaps good morning. But Ramesh Swami has some information on some of our social media platform. So with that, he will give you some information and then we will end the show. Okay. Thank you, Jagdeeji. So uh, with uh, today, we... As, uh, we have also started Telegram channel for Dr. Swami. You can go look for uh, Dr. Swami's Telegram channel. We have, as soon as we announced it, we have uh, 5,000 people who have joined it. So we'll have more people joining. Uh, see, the goal is more to spread as much as information possible to, because as we move forward, we need to keep up with the times. You know, we started only with YouTube. <laughs> then we expanded to eight channels. Now we are trying to adapt as soon as possible, as much as possible. As we say, well, the key point is, when we, when Dr. Swami and people like Rajiv Ji, who have spent so much of time before, when they come to the program, please don't think that they're just coming here and saying things. Okay, uh, Rajiv Ji is preparing for three, four days. Dr. Swami sits down and prepares all these programs. So please try to take this spread with everybody because what we are sharing here is very crucial, and we're, it is important that you share, spread, and make sure everybody is aware. I mean, Rajiv Ji has written enormous number of books. Please share them. You can yeah. see them on Amazon. Dr. Swami has written books on extensively on these subjects. It's very important that the viewers learn from such stalwarts and see what we could do best. To, you know, it's our future, right? I mean, they have done enough amount of foundation and work for us. We have to take this forward. Uh, so that's very important that I just wanted to share. Again, uh, as I said, podcast, as I said earlier, you can, you as soon as this program's over, we upload it on Apple, Google, and, and Spotify podcast. You can listen to it later as well. Check this, we can conclude after this. Thank okay. You. Thank you, viewers. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>